Well, so far, the year 2020 has been a year of crises as we've gone from a worldwide pandemic to the violence of race riots, as well as the unsettling effects of record unemployment and economic instability all over the world. So that people both inside and outside of the church are engaged with other people in a level of conflict and with a degree of fury and animosity that exceeds anything I've seen in my 30 years of being a pastor. And I've seen a lot. As a pastor who counsels and gets in the trenches with real big fat messes, I've seen a lot. But folks, this is the worst. And I'm not talking about the worst behavior I've seen from the world. It is the worst behavior I've seen from some of God's people. And so because I love you, and I want us to be the people of God who live for the glory of God. I'm hitting pause on our series through the book of Acts so that I can do a short two-sermon series that I'm calling God's Call. To God's people during a time of crisis. In other words, I want us to answer the question. What would God want us to be focused on? And how would God want us to be living when it seems like everything around us is blowing up? And there's no better place to get our answer than from the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus unpacks for us what it looks like to be the people of God who live for the kingdom of God instead of just living and talking and acting just like everybody else. In other words, you're going to hear Not what Brad Bigney thinks, not what the elders think, not what your favorite blogger thinks. I want you to hear the voice of your Savior today in the midst of the the noise. I want you to hear the voice of your Savior. As he tells us what he thinks are the distinctive characteristics of his people that set them apart. From all of the screaming, slanderous, fearful, hateful, arrogant, and violent chaos of the world. Turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. And I want you to follow along as I begin reading in verse 1. Matthew chapter 5 verse 1. And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain. And when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Now, I want you to understand what's going on right here. There are many times that Jesus preaches an evangelistic sermon to masses of people. That's not what's happening right here. What he's doing is Jesus is actually speaking to his disciples, but doing it in front of a crowd. A a huge crowd is overhearing. And I want you to be clear here. He's not giving us a list of things that you need to do to become a Christian. He's talking to his disciples. Disciples about what it looks like when you are a Christian. 
These are the things that characterize his people. Seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain. When he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, let me be clear and just meddle instead of just preach. This passage is not talking about you getting persecuted for a political view. Yeah, yeah, I'm getting hammered right now. This is, it's not talking about getting persecuted for a cause that you're promoting right now. This is talking about getting persecuted for speaking about Jesus and the gospel and his kingdom. Not this temporal kingdom. You are the salt of the earth, verse 13. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. When we stop, notice you're the salt of the earth. That means we're supposed to make people thirsty. Our very presence is supposed to do two things. Two things salt did back then. It preserved meat and kept things from rotting. We've got a culture that's rotting. And we're supposed to bring something that preserves. And we're supposed to make people thirsty, not for your political view, not for your cause, not for your opinion, but for Jesus and the gospel and something outside of this world and real hope. When you stop doing that, you're good for nothing. You may be helpful to a particular tribe or camp, but you're good for nothing as a believer. Verse 14, you're the light of the world. A city that's set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works And glorify the Republican part. No. And glorify the Democrat. And glorify hashtag whatever. No. And glorify your Father in heaven. Skip to verse 43. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, it's a phrase he uses all through the Sermon on the Mount. 
because he just turns everything upside down, upside down. Uh, This is not what you would think. This is not what you would think. This is not what you would naturally do. This is not your first thought. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you that you may be sons of your father in heaven. For he makes his son, S-U-N, rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those that love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so. Now, we're only going to look at blessed are the peacemakers today. But this entire sermon captures how the people of God should be living in times like this right now. Because I want you to understand that these beatitudes are not describing eight different kinds of people like some kind of personality inventory. I'm a one. I'm a four. I'm a seven. I'm pure in heart. I'm into hunger. I'm into peacemaking. No. These eight characteristics should all be reflected in every believer Because we are supposed to be his peculiar, particular people that are set apart. The people of God who've been birthed into the kingdom of God because they bowed their knee to King Jesus as Lord of their lives. And when they did, it radically changed how they live, what they think, what they want, how they talk. In other words, we have a new power, his spirit in us, and we have a new master, Lord Jesus. We have a new power, we have a new master. We have a new power, we have a new master. And when you do, you don't live and look and talk like everybody else. So, what would it look like to be a peacemaker? Here's the first thing I want you to see. Number one, peacemakers aim at humility rather than humiliation. You guys, he's called us to be humble in the way that we engage our... You know me well enough to know. I'm not that guy that says we're supposed to huddle up and separate from the world. No, we're supposed to engage. But when we engage them, we're not supposed to sound and act just like them. He's called us to be humble in the way that we engage our culture and in the way that we interact with other people, including other people in the family of God. But right now, right now, it seems that everyone has decided, oh, the issues right now are so big and so critical. It's okay right now to just sweep humility off the table. And the goal now is to humiliate the opponent, even if it's a brother or sister in Christ. But nowhere in the Sermon on the Mount or the rest of the Bible will you find 
God calling his people to shift from humility to humiliation regardless of what's at stake. Because you guys, there's something bigger at stake. Love for each other and love for our enemies out there in the world. He's called us to love starting right here in the family of God. We're supposed to practice. In other words, this is supposed to be a practice round so that then you could even begin to love unbelievers that might be really coming at you. He's called us to be peacemakers. And you can't do peacemaking without humility. Peacemaking by necessity requires a posture of humility that refuses to vilify the opponent and glorify itself. Because instead, we're seeking to glorify God by doing what he did for us when he humbled himself, took on flesh, set aside his, here's a big word right now, rights, and stepped down into this vile world as a servant, a suffering servant. That's why James 4 tells us, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks evil against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. And guess what? This applies to social media as well because thundering emails and vicious social media Posts where you just unload and give everybody a piece of your mind will never lead to reconciliation or peace or glorifying your God. Oh, you may have won. You may feel like right in that moment you won a verbal skirmish online. Bravo. But you will never win the war. And you will never be a peacemaker. And you'll never hear your Savior say. You may hear your tribe cheering you on. That was clever. That was amazing. You will never hear your Savior say, well done. I love how you laid into her right there. Yeah. Never. I know it feels good to have those moments because by nature, our sinful flesh wants to win, 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 win. That's not the goal, you guys. Please, God. Please, God. Please, God, be peculiar. Make a difference, a lasting, eternal difference. I know it feels good to have those moments, but he's not called us to live for a moment. He's called us To live for something momentous. His kingdom. His glory. And his calling on our lives. To be peculiar peacemaking people. 
oh my goodness, you guys, somebody's got to bring to this moment in our culture something peculiar. We have enough anger. We have enough arrogance. We have enough cleverness. We have enough. The people of God need to bring something radically different to this moment. Not the same thing. So number two, being a peacemaker, this is closely related, means that you're careful and prayerful with your words. You see, peacemakers are careful with their words because they know the power that words have. We of all people, more than most, should know the power of the spoken word because we're a word-oriented people And we're in relationship with a God who speaks words that change our life. And we follow a Savior who is called the living word. We of all people should be far more careful and prayerful and value words. Proverbs 18, 21 says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Could there be anything more important? Death. Your words have the power to kill or to bring life. We've got enough death and killing. We need some life. We need some life. We need some life. Proverbs twelve eighteen. Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Oh, my goodness. We've got reckless words being slung around left and right. And James 1.19, let every person be quick to hear. Nobody's listening. Slow to speak. Everybody's spewing. Slow to anger. It seems like everybody is that close to harming someone. I have never seen so many angry people. And I'm not talking about just out there, those people. I'm talking about the people of God. That next verse, verse 20 of James 1 says, the wrath of man will not produce the righteousness of of God. You will not get it done by not listening, by spewing, and by, by being furious. We're getting it done. We're getting it done. We're getting it done. No, you're not. You're not. I know we live in a day where people abuse words and use words fast and loose. But peacemakers don't fall into that trap because they know words, you guys can destroy a family, can destroy a marriage, can destroy a friendship, can destroy a church, and can even destroy a society. Words. Oh, yes, we've watched on the news. Sure, we've seen the physical destruction of some of our cities. But I want you to know the long-term cost and destruction to people through venomous, polarizing, hate-filled words will be long with us, much longer with us, long after 
burned out sections of our cities have been rebuilt. Because words are far more destructive and have much longer lasting effects. I believe we're going to be rebuilding for decades. Don't make a mistake. I don't think I don't think these days we've been living in. Oh, this is really going to bring significant reconciliation and peace finally. No, it's not. I think we're going to be rebuilding for decades from the fallout of careless, callous, hate filled words that were designed to shock and destroy far more than they were designed to bring reconciliation and peace. Christians, you will never accomplish the purposes of God for the glory of God using the weapons and ways of the world. Don't pick it up. Don't pick it up and think you can do. But but look at them. Yes, they're unbelievers. They're lost. They have no shepherd. They have no heavenly father. They have no Holy Spirit. Their biggest problem hasn't been solved by, by Jesus Christ. They're at war with each other because they're still at war with themselves and God. But you're not. So live like it. Your biggest problem has been solved. Believers should not be running frantic and frenzied and screaming and carrying on like everyone else as if this is your final home, as if this is as good as it gets, as if this has to be just like you want it to be. News alert. Christians all over the world have been living in countries that have politics and governments that are not favorable towards them. Get a grip, believers. Don't hear me saying, oh, I'm going to vote for a communist or a socialist. I hope that happens. I don't hope it happens. But I'm not losing sleep over that. I'm not going to shift all my attention to that. And I don't think pastors in China waste time in the pulpit preaching against communism. They keep preaching the gospel and Jesus. So stop emailing me to tell me to start preaching about these things. I will not. I will not. I'm going to keep lifting up the main thing and calling you to live for Jesus regardless of what kind of government we end up having. Because, thank you. I think American Christians are just so soft because we've had it so good. You do not have to have a political party in line with your Christian views to live for the glory of God. I know you feel like you've had that for a long time. But those days may be leaving. And it's time for the church of God to live for the glory of God. And know what matters most. Don't hear me saying, I don't care at all. I'm going to vote. I might write some emails and some letters to two leaders to tell them what I think. And after that, I'm going to lay my little head on my little pastor pillow and sleep good. And you should too. For crying out loud. It's heartbreaking what I'm seeing. And don't be guilty of this, but it works. Look how that works. It works. It works. When you get angry and when you hurl words, it works. You guys, he's not called us to do what works. He's called us to please God. Please God. 
please God, not get results. Please God, please God, not get results. So I want to be honest as your pastor shepherd. I have been grieved to see the way some of you are talking online to our culture and to each other. And I use the word grieved because your words have not just told everybody what you think about the issue. Your unguarded words have told everybody, including me, something really ugly about your heart that looks nothing like your Savior. Who's called us to love, bless, pray for, and overcome evil with good. You see, what's coming out of your mouth? It's been disturbing to me. I'll be honest. I was like, these are my people. How have I failed? I've been here 25 years. But God rebuked me in my Bible reading. In Ezra, where it says Ezra was astonished. Twice it says he sat down astonished when he saw how the people were behaving. I've been astonished. But then it says God called him to rise up. I thought, all right, I get to be your pastor now and be courageous and lead and shepherd and guide. What's coming out of your mouth most reveals what's in your heart most. And for some of you, it's really ugly and ungodly and you need to repent. Don't hear me saying you have to repent of your position. You need to repent of the way you're promoting your position and attacking those who differ. Especially brothers and sisters in the family of God who might differ with your opinion. Number three, peacemakers are focused on loving specific individuals. Instead of condemning entire groups of people. Oh, our culture right now has shifted into wholesale condemnation of entire groups as the solution for all the brokenness and sin that's actually happening one specific person at a time who makes one specific choice at a time. And so again, you listen to me, you will not see this approach of wholesale condemnation achieve lasting peace and reconciliation because the answer to any of our cultural sins problems of racism and any other injustice will never be to disparage or condemn an entire group of people or civil servants like what you see happening today let me just be more specific The vast majority of men and women serving in law enforcement today make incredible sacrifices and put their lives at risk day after day after day. You would not want their job, you guys. Day after day after day. To protect us and to promote peace and stability in our nation. We owe them a debt of gratitude for the level of peace and prosperity that our nation has experienced. Because these men and women, if you read your Bibles in Romans 13, are an extension of God's arm that He designed 
that he designed. I know they don't do it perfectly. None of us do what God's called us to do perfectly. But he designed it to reduce chaos and resist evil. Without the police doing what God's called them to do, there would be no peace and no justice because chaos and anarchy and evil would rule. Oh, sure. Let me say what some of you might be thinking. Because we're all sinners. Yeah. Because we're all sinners. There are bad pastors who commit adultery and secretly go meet with prostitutes and embezzle church funds. And you see it in the news. But not all pastors are bad. And we don't want to say, the answer is get rid of pastors. I am not perfect, but I can stand here and tell you 25 years into this with you. I am not secretly meeting with prostitutes. I'm not looking at porn and I'm not taking anything but my salary. I haven't had my hand in the benevolence fund. Not all pastors are bad. There are bad doctors who do not hold to their oath to actually care for patients. But not all doctors are bad. And there are some bad policemen. Who abuse their power. But not all policemen are bad. So if disparaging and condemning wholesale a group of people isn't the answer, then what is? Well, I'm going to show you what Jesus thought was the answer. But I got to warn you. Since people, human beings like big stuff that happens fast. You might find yourself saying you're kidding. That's his answer. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Look at verse 9 again. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And that phrase points us on into his sermon further. To say, okay, what characterizes these sons and daughters of God? What would they be doing? Look at verse 43. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love. Your enemies bless those who curse you. Do good to those that hate you. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. That you may be sons of your heavenly. You never look more like your dad. Than when you're loving. Blessing. Praying. And overcoming evil with good. In other words, you want to know what peacemakers and kingdom people and sons and daughters of God look like in the midst of this kind of violence. He's showing us you love that specific person who's coming at you right now. Because see, I hope you realize those verses. Love, bless, pray, do good. Those verses are best put into practice in real time at close range with one real person at a time. You love that person who's actually coming at you right now. You bless that person who is cursing you. You do something good for that person who is expressing nothing but hate for you. And you pray for that person That spitefully uses you. And then in verse 47, he gives us another example of what peacemaking love looks like. Look at verse 47. 
And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? In other words, it might sound little and lame to the human heart. But if there's someone that opposes you and your view, you don't feed the animosity by ignoring them or avoiding them. That's the natural thing to do. But it's not the spirit-filled, peacemaking thing to do. So why? Let me, let me touch what you might be thinking right now. Why does this message on peacemaking confine itself to personal dimensions of prayer and blessing and good deeds and greeting your enemy? Because I know that all sounds so insignificant in light of what we're facing today with race riots and terrorism and sexual abuse and political corruption and poverty and unemployment and so much more. So be careful if you're thinking, oh, maybe Jesus preached this way because 2,000 years ago, it was a kinder, gentler culture that didn't have the big social issues we have going on today. You would be so wrong. You'd be so wrong. Because as Jesus preached this sermon, my friends, he knew that the iron hand of Rome, the Roman Empire, was right then oppressing the Jews without their consent. They hated it. And that's why one of the reasons they rejected him. They thought the Messiah is going to focus on right here, right now, social justice issues and make this right. And when he didn't, they said, you can't be who we're looking for. He knew that the iron hand of the Roman Empire was oppressing the Jews in their land right then. He knew that Herod, you think we've got some bad leaders that you don't like? Huh. He knew that Herod had recently slaughtered 3,000 Jews at a Passover celebration. He knew that any, do you realize any Roman soldier on any given day could grab randomly any Jew and force them to carry his baggage for a mile? That's the day they were living in. Does that sound fair? Does that sound just? Does that sound right? And he knew that Pilate had his soldiers bludgeon a crowd of Jews who were in the middle of protesting how he had been stealing from the temple treasury. He knew all that and more because he's God. So why didn't he focus on big social justice issues like the Roman oppression, political corruption, injustice, unbridled militarism? I'll tell you why. Because he knew that the eternal destiny of one human soul is far greater than the temporal destiny or comfort of a nation or people group. Don't hear me say he doesn't care. But it's not the main thing. He knew. He could have thrown all his energy into. And Christians hear me. Don't hear me saying we should not be involved in any temporal cause. But I hope you realize you could give your best thoughts and energy and passion to trying to get greater freedoms or justice or equities for somebody and they live a better life now and die and go to hell forever. And oh, by the way, I don't know if you've noticed, the world, unbelievers, 
are very focused on a lot of those things. Why don't we focus on what they can't give a rip about? The eternal destiny of the souls of human beings who need to hear the gospel and need to know about Jesus or they will land in hell forever. Even when people would grab him and say, hey, that tower in Siloam that fell down, Luke chapter 13, were those worse sinners? Is that why that happened? He would always take every calamity, whether it was an injustice or a disaster, and turn it back to, he said, oh yeah, you think that? No. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. He always brought it back to the main thing, what matters most. He came to solve our biggest problem. The sin problem that separates us from a holy God. And he's called his people to live for the main problem. And bringing the solution to the main problem that he died and rose again to purchase for us at a great price. Along the way, God's spirit may prompt you to get involved with your gifts in some issues. But listen to me. If you lose sight of the main thing and you don't talk to someone while you feed them or while you help them about their bigger problem, you haven't really helped them. There's an eternity eternity with a heaven and a hell. This life is a vapor, the Bible says. A vapor, a vapor, a vapor. But there's an eternity. When the rich man went to hell, he begged that someone would go back to his brothers. Please go back and preach to them that they would not arrive here. Jesus knew what he wishes more of his followers today knew. That widespread cultural change. Do you want to see change? It's not done politically. It's not done with money. It's not done with hashtag anything. It's not done with anger. It's not done with bullying and intimidation. Widespread cultural change is only the result of a heart change that happens one person at a time. Very often as the result of a believer that they work with or live near who is so radically upside down loving them and blessing them and praying for them while they actually hate them and revile them and shun them and diss them, that they say, what is this you have? How do you do that? That's how Jesus intends to change the world. And it's how Jesus designed to draw lost people to himself. When his people live so peculiar, upside down, different. When you live this way, haters will say, how do you do that? What do you have? But you guys, when you scream when you run in panic and frenzy like everybody else, when you sling mud and slander and exaggerate and rage with hate, they say, I've already got that. I can do that all by myself. I guess I don't need this Jesus and Christianity thing because you look just like me. You don't have peace. You look so upset, so angry, so at war. 
Number four, I got to do this quickly, but ooh, it's important, so I want to hit it. Peacemakers are not in a hurry, but have the long view in mind. Let me say something that, because so far I haven't said anything offensive. When a movement is characterized by a frenzied, frantic, get it done right now at any cost. You can be assured that God and the glory of God is not behind it or at the heart of it. Because our God is not in a hurry. He's not in a hurry like we are. Peacemakers have a marathon mentality because they know that until his kingdom fully comes with a new heaven and a new earth, we will never be finished. We will never reach the finish line on any of the sin issues that are corrupting our culture and crushing people made in his image. Eugene Peterson puts his finger right on it when he says, I think The besetting sin of Christians is impatience. This impatience to leave the methods of Jesus in order to get the work of Jesus done is what destroys spirituality. Because we're using a non-biblical, non-Jesus way to do what Jesus did. Oh, we got a lot of that going on right now. Non-biblical, non-Jesus way. To do what you say Jesus would be doing. You're wrong. It's not just what you think. It's how you communicate and promote what you think. God cares what you believe. And God cares how you communicate what you believe. And God cares the heart. What's your motive for what you believe? There's a lot more going on than just words. It all matters. And makes us peculiar. Which is why 1 Peter 3.11 says, seek peace and pursue it. Seek peace and pursue it. In other words, get this, it won't be easy to find and it won't happen in a hurry. Peacemaking is a process, not an event. Seek peace and pursue it. I know this is all radical. So let me give you the basis or ground for Jesus calling us to be peacemakers. You say, Brad, I can't do that. No, I can't either. Not in the flesh. Not on my own. These are not my first thoughts either. I got the same flesh you do that just... We have his spirit in us. I've read articles that confirm what I've sensed in my own church family. We've got Christians reading their Bibles Less. This is not the time to stop hearing from God. Oh my goodness, no wonder you're acting the way you're acting. You got to sit with His Word in your lap and He will settle you. He will reorient you. He will rebuke you, even like He did to me two mornings ago. You cannot live radically different in your own flesh, disconnected from His Word. Turn off the stinking television and turn off talk radio 
And go, yea, verily, 30 days without looking at your favorite blog of your tribe that just keeps stirring you up and making you freshly angry all over again. God's word, God's spirit, God's glory, God's calling, peacemakers, for they shall be called sons and daughters of God. We of all people should want to be peacemakers. Here's the basis. You say, why? Because Jesus made peace with a holy God for us. The war has ended. Our identity has changed. We have a security that's rooted in something totally different than this world so that now we can offer on a horizontal level peace because we have peace with God. Romans chapter 5 tells us about this peace. As we close, listen. Therefore, having been justified by faith. You didn't earn it. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we now stand and rejoice in the hope and glory of God. We have peace and you have access to unlimited grace. Grace. Grace empowers us to live differently. Grace gives you what you don't have in your own strength. Oh God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. And thank you for your calling on our lives. Please stir us. Give light where there's darkness. Give clarity where things have been tangled. Give hope where there's been despair. Give gentleness and humility and peace where there's been rage so that we might be your peculiar people in this dark day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.